Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Oh my God, Trish, what, what is that big furry thing there? It's Margot. It? Oh, she's, there um, she is. she's very attracted to my computer screen for some reason. She's not. She's just passively aggressive, messing with your mind there, trying to stop you doing stuff. Uh, no, messing with your mind, I think you'll find. Because <laughs> you cats. <laughs> she, you just, she's just showing you her luxurious tail there and you're, you're ignoring yeah. it. Look at it. It's a thing well, of I've got something to show you, Margot, I tell you. <laughs> Hello. Welcome to Postcards from Midlife. I'm Trish Halpin and I'm Lorraine Candy and we're on a mission to tackle all the big and small issues that affect women at this stage of our life from insomnia to mind and body wellness HRT to sex drive careers and relationships and as always the challenges and joys of parenting teens in today's episode we'll be slaying the midlife sleep dragon so whether you find yourself wide awake and fretting at 3 a.m or just can't get to sleep in the first place sleep specialist Catherine pinkham founder of the insomnia clinic is here to give us some much needed answers and if money is one of the things keeping you up at night we'll also be discussing how our attitude to finances can affect everything from our relationships with our other halves to our friends and family so what do we need to do to ensure our children recognise the value of it and go out into the world money-wise rather than hopeless spendthrifts? First, though, we thought we'd have a little reality check and share some of the moments that have cemented for us that we are well and truly middle-aged, whether we like it or not. Um, Lorraine, you had a little bit of a wake-up call recently, didn't you? Yes, I'm very uncomfortable with this because, you know, I veer towards the end of Madonna J-Lo ageing rather than normality and reality in the middle bit. So I was out in Soho. Woohoo, for the first time in ages and ages with um, a very close friend of mine. And I remembered I'd first met her in Soho and we'd had a brilliant night out the first night we met. We'd stayed out all night, gone to a club, come out of a... Oh, it just was brilliant. We had a fantastic time. So we were sort of 30 years later, I guess, 25 years later out in the same street doing the same things. And as we were chatting about how fabulous that we can still be going out, et cetera, et cetera, I realised I couldn't read anything on the menu in the no. restaurant because my <laughs> middle-aged eyesight was well. It was infuriating, and I had oh. to I had to borrow her reading glasses. Oh, I mean that's just a given for me. I went out with some girlfriends for lunch the other day, and we had two pairs between us, so we had we were passing them round. <laughs> we had to take turns. <laughs> but don't you at the remember that with your get... relatives, with oh, your mum going, yes. "Oh, for God's sake, she's going to get her oh. I mean, reading glasses out." If there's a sign of being an older woman. Yeah, it's that sign. I find it depressing. You don't find it depressing so much, do you? I don't, but there is one that uh, I can't believe I'm going to say this. There is one thing for me that was the moment. Is it what happens Uh, when you sneeze? No, no, it's worse. First grey pube. Oh, Trish, for God's sake. First grey pube. It's awful. 
What happened? Did it leap out at you like some awful monster? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, the thing is, I sort of don't really look down there very much these days. (laughs) And you kind of need you need your glasses on to see anything anyway. Oh, for God's sake! Do you want to borrow my reading glasses for your for your shower shenanigans? My inspections, my inspections. Yeah, but I mean, it's it's a thing though, isn't it? It is. Grey pee is a thing, and um, I think. Women want to talk, don't we? Don't want to talk about it, but we just need to be honest about it, don't we? And it's uh, it's just one of those things. And I, I mean, I'm sure there's places you can go to have it dyed, maybe. But would you dye you it think, all orange or pink well? I suppose. Or oh, I don't really know. I suppose a lot of women don't have any at all, do they? I think your J Lo Madonna age end nothing, probably nothing. Hairless, like like Kim Kardashian, hairless. Yeah, Hollywood, uh, uh, what are they called, waxes. And then you've got... Able to wear high-rise swimming costumes with no cares in the world. (laughs) Yes, exactly. And then you've got us with... Because that's where we have to rub our testosterone cream, isn't it? So It's not where I'm rubbing mine, Trish. What instructions have you been given? Well, do you want to share that? No, no. (laughs) (laughs) Well, this is the trouble. I just really Mm. rail against this lack of glamour in getting Mm. older but then if you don't talk about it you're kind of denying it and the patriarchy wants us to deny everything Mm. anyway about women and getting older so then I feel guilty about that and then I get myself tied up in all sorts of knots of what I should and shouldn't be talking about or moaning about I guess if we can be honest that's the key isn't it yeah yeah exactly but um we'd love you all to share your your midlife I don't uh, want pictures wake up thank you very much (laughs) don't need pictures no. but actually because we've had um quite a few little stories on our um facebook group haven't we um, we have i liked this one um from francesca who says well my brain has totally gone today put the washing machine on turned around and realized i had forgot to put the washing actually into the machine perimenopause brain is driving me mad and um, i think we can relate to that we can all relate we? to the keys in the fridge i call it the keys in the fridge yeah. syndrome or that thing that i did last night where i walked across the kitchen six times to the fridge and every time I got there I had forgotten why I was there I think you end up having to be like a detective because you've got to sort of retrace your your steps and your thought process to work out what sent you to that cupboard or that place in the first place so it's a it's a bit of brain training going on there and someone else wrote in the ratings and review section of the podcast 72 poodle quite like that poodle um I've I have been recommending this podcast to all my friends perhaps I shouldn't listen to this on dog walks as laughing and smirking can make you look like a real mad woman but hey what's what's another affliction at this age there's a whole list of them isn't there <laughs> exactly. i don't want to be doom and gloom though because there's no, quite a lot of funny. you know it's yeah funny. It's there's funny a lot of that, good things and there is the sort of whole like not giving a stuff about it as well there is that side and um, the liberating not yeah caring. i don't care about a lot of oh, stuff yeah. don't care truly Thank don't you. care what anyone thinks anymore which is great Now it's time to meet this week's special guest, Catherine Pinkham. Catherine has helped thousands of menopausal and perimenopausal women reclaim their nights in midlife. A former NHS psychological practitioner specialising in poor sleep patterns, she set up the Insomnia Clinic in 2013 to specialise in supporting those who struggle to get through the night without waking up. Welcome to Postcards from Midlife, Catherine. Hi, thank you. Thanks for having me. As we all know, the quality and quantity of sleep you get does decrease during menopause and perimenopause. Um, And we know from postcards from midlife and from all the experts we've talked to that it's often the main symptom that women take to their GP. So they may not know they're in perimenopause. They may just think, why have I suddenly got this terrible 
uh, insomnia. So can we just start, Catherine, by exploring why sleep is an issue during menopause and perimenopause? It's such a huge issue for women um, in, in menopause. And the reason I started kind of specialising more and more in this area is because over time, what I, what I saw was that, A, you know, the vast majority of women, either pre, post, perimenopause, wherever they are in that cycle, were having issues with sleep and that they just weren't being offered any treatment. You know, it was kind of, uh, you know, the obvious stuff, give up caffeine and don't eat spicy food. But, but really, if you didn't want to take medication, you had to put up with it. And so the reason why it's such an issue for those women is the, the way that insomnia develops is that for whatever reason, even for somebody who's not in menopause, something triggers the odd night of poor sleep. So it could be um, stress, uh, you know, a cough and cold, a bit of noise next door, something on your mind, or it could be a hot flush or the beginnings of um, your hormonal changes. And what happens is we are pretty intolerant to poor sleep. So fairly quickly, we, we focus on it, we become quite vigilant about it, and we want to improve it. So for any of us, after three or four nights of poor sleep, we're, we're looking to fix it. So the first thing we do is we, we go to bed earlier. Um, we try and get more opportunity for sleep. So we would uh, get up later. We would um, perhaps have a nap if we could. And the problem with those kind of changes is that what we're doing there is we're altering our, our body clock and our sleep drive. We're sort of starting to interfere in those things. And as, as time goes on, what these ladies are finding is that they're waking up regularly through the night because of hot flushes. So they're spending more and more time in bed trying to get more sleep. They're getting less. And now they're spending so much time in bed awake, frustrated, feeling panicked, that actually the relationship with bed has become very fractured. Um, you know, we're, we're relating bed to all of these non-sleepy, non-relaxing activities because we're spending so much time in bed feeling that way. And so as time goes on, particularly for these women, um, what's happening is that they're, they're spending too much time in bed awake. They go to bed with this sort of dread and this fear because they know what's coming. They wake in the night feeling panicky. And the next night, the same thing happens. So we have this kind of double whammy of not only are your hormones interfering, but now this kind of learnt behaviour and this, and this bed becoming a cue for poor sleep and a, and a place of anxiety is helping kind of cement that problem. How desperate are the women who come to you? Because I guess by the time you go to an insomnia clinic, you've, you've tried everything else. Yes. Yeah, we're, we're always the kind of the last port of call um, because there's so many things that are easier to do and quicker, like taking medications and that kind yes. of a lot along the way. Um, but those things don't tend to tackle the right problem. They're, they're kind of a little bit more markety and more gimmicky, you know, buying sprays and, and supplements and that kind of thing. One lady who was trying when I when I did the assessment with her, she was um, currently eating cottage cheese before bed every night because she, she read <laughs> oh about this cheese. Um, and I mean, there's also things like cher cherry uh, cherry juice or, or copious amounts of kiwis and potatoes, and and they, they've tried everything. You know, they're they're very desperate and. Um, Often even just being able to explain to somebody, actually you don't have to accept it. And there is kind of a formula and a, yeah. and a, and a theory behind why this is happening. And therefore there is, there is you know, evidence-based techniques that will, will in some way, they won't get rid of your menopause, they're not gonna get rid of the hot flushes, but they are gonna um, minimize the impact that it's having mm -hmm. on your sleep. And often for people, even that sort of 10 minute call can be a, can be a weight off their mind. So, to talk to us about your methods then, because the sleep drive is a very important part of what you do, isn't it? L learning about the sleep drive and it's CBT based, isn't it? What you do? Yeah. So CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia is the um, evidence-based 
treatment. It's the, with the highest evidence base for curing insomnia. And it's shown in, in studies now, um, there has been a few studies done around ladies in menopause um, with some good results. Yes. And so it's, it's based on not just our thoughts and our beliefs about sleep, but also our, our actual physical behaviors and, and, um, and physiological uh, response to sleep. So in order to sleep well, one of the things that's the most important is our sleep drive. So if you think of an elastic band, uh, when you wake up in the morning, we start stretching that elastic band, it gets tighter and tighter and tighter as the day goes on. And ideally we want that band to be as tight as it can be. Then we get into bed, we fall asleep quickly, and we take back the whole debt that we've been building up through the day. But when that sleep drive starts to falter is when we're being woken, for example, by hot flushes. And then suddenly we're feeling really tired during the day because we were woken. So maybe we go to bed a bit earlier, maybe we get up a bit later, and then you can see that actually we're starting to spend perhaps lose the elasticity of the day. We, yeah, we lose the momentum. So we, you know, I have I've worked with ladies who are spending, you know, nine, ten, eleven hours in bed, but asleep for you know four or five of those. And, and it's um, not just getting to sleep; it's waking up, isn't it? That's a lot of what we hear. Um, and I found that I was fine going to sleep, but I just kept waking up, and that's the fury of everything, isn't it? Waking up cross hot anxious depressed yeah yeah and it, so sleep onset um insomnia is falling asleep and then sleep maintenance is the insomnia that probably menopause or women suffer from the most and right. you know it's it's a habit that if i was to set my alarm for 2 a.m every night for a week by next week i'd probably wake up at 2 a.m without setting it yeah and so for ladies in menopause what's happening for them is their hormones are setting these internal alarms they're, they're boiling hot, they wake up and you feel so panicked and, and anxious that your adrenaline is racing. And adrenaline is kind of, the, you know, the antidote of sleep. You know, it's, yeah. it's, it's the worst thing we want coursing through our veins when we're trying to be asleep. Can you tell us then, Catherine, about your approach and, and your course and why it's, why it's so different and why it's so successful as well? The first thing that I always do with, with people is sort of the behavioural stuff. So um, making sure that we are going to bed a bit later, getting up a little bit earlier. So, so minimizing time in bed so that it's more likely to have that high drive. And although for people that can feel quite anxiety provoking because they're thinking, well, I don't want to get less sleep. Now you're telling me to go to bed less. Actually, it's about doing the opposite to what we think we need to do. Strengthen that drive and the quality of your sleep will improve. But the most important thing for these ladies as well is, is as you say, their problem is often waking in the night. And so what do we do to stop this connection being made with our bed about anxiety and, and panic. And um, there's a couple of things that, that I always get people to, to do. The first one is if you are wide awake, hot and bothered, panicked, stressed, not remotely you know, sleepy, then, then leave the bedroom. Don't stay in bed when you're feeling that way. And it's, it's really hard for people to do that because yeah. actually they're already shattered. They don't want to give up on the possibility of having more sleep. But actually whilst you remain in bed, your chances of falling asleep are pretty slim. And what you're doing is you're continuing to build this relationship with bed that it isn't about sleep. It's about being wide awake, fractious, irritated, tossed, hot and bothered and tossing and turning. So you leave the bedroom, you go downstairs. I don't at all sign up that you have to do something boring. Um, you, you do what you enjoy. If you enjoy reading, read. If you want to watch TV, do something that actually just takes your mind off the fact that you're not asleep. Just enjoy doing something else. And when you feel sleepy and you're a little bit calmer, you go back to bed. Whatever happens, you try and still get up with your alarm in the morning. It's really important to the sleep drive to get up. And I, and I know that you know, people won't feel like doing that. It's the last thing you want to do. But we're looking longer term here. You know, let's improve yeah. the quality, then we can get more of it. But during the day, 
it's it's vital that we deal with how we feel about this sleep problem because it will come back. You can we can try and ignore it all day, but at night time it comes back and it sort of sabotages you with your mind, and that's that racing mind thing. So in the daytime, it's really important pen and paper, twenty minutes a day, just to write down all of your worries about sleep, all the reasons why it matters. You know, not getting enough sleep means a different thing to to different people. And if you have this sort of core belief that actually if I don't sleep well, I'm a bad parent or I can't do my job well, that's fueling this issue. It's creating more and more stress. So sometimes it's just about, um, and I work with people a lot on this, it's just working out why does it matter so much to you and how and how are those thoughts helping you? How can we take the sting out of it a little bit? How can we learn to just accept that yes, it's not ideal and, and no, you probably won't sleep as well as you did in your in your 20s. But actually, you are going to cope and you will be okay. And you do still have good days, even when you haven't slept well. And getting people to sort of take some of the focus and the vigilance away from sleep, because then when they go to bed, um, and as long as they're kind of keeping this stronger drive and they're managing these thoughts, they can start to feel less stressed. The less stressed we feel, the better the sleep becomes. So having CBT for insomnia sounds like it could possibly be expensive or it could be like a long program. Can you just outline what actually the the commitment is in terms of um, your being involved with it? Traditionally, CBT for insomnia was always delivered um, one-to-one, so in traditional therapy settings. And that can be expensive and it can be time-consuming. But over over the years, I've been doing this for about 15 years, um, and over the years what I realised actually there's lots of people that don't need therapy. They actually just need to know what to do. So um, we offer one-to-one therapy because some people need it. They have anxiety, stress, and they would prefer that approach. Um, but we also um, I developed an online course, and it's sort of based on a four-week program, but you take as long as you want. You take, you, know, you carry on past that. But the four weeks are sort of based on the elements of the program. So looking at your behaviors and your body clock, looking at your thoughts and your anxieties, um, looking at relapse prevention. We're all going to have a bad night here and there in our life. How am I going to stop that one bad night spiraling? So looking at those stages. Um, and what I did was I created the online course um, for the, I've got a menopause course and a normal course. And um, what I do is I have a, a support group because I think that people always have questions. They want to know if they're doing it right and they need to get those answers. So, so the support um, the support group people can ask and I'm always there to answer questions. And, and it's a lovely group. People realise they're not alone. There's a community. Yeah. Um, and that, that, that in itself is helpful because insomnia is lonely. At the moment, it's £225, and that includes the free membership of the um, support group. You're doing um, a webinar, aren't you? Yes, yeah, so I've got currently on the website, there is a Sleep Well, Live Better webinar, um, but I'm going to do one that's specifically for menopausal women. How do you feel about antidepressants in the mix um, for sleep? Because a lot of women, A, are prescribed them, a lot of women need them, and it is um, relevant as a prescription. Yeah. But a lot of those women are still experiencing terrible sleep issues. How do you work around that? So, so I think that if somebody has a lot of anxiety um, and stress and they're struggling to manage that, then that's the primary issue. So if they can't, yeah. if I'm trying to work with them on their sleep, but actually the anxiety of even going to bed half an hour later is, you know, uh, crippling them, then I would say in that instance, actually, um, some medication to help with your anxiety, your low mood can give you that kickstart that then you could stick with the sleep program and improve your sleep. Some antidepressants have a sedative effect, but they're not, it's not, again, it's not normally enough to cure an insomnia problem because actually we're not dealing with the root cause. You know, we haven't retrained ourselves to feel differently and, and, you know, uh, to sleep at different times. And what is, how long is a good night's sleep? What's in your mind is a, is a good number of hours to sleep? So, so I would never go on quantity. When we're younger, we find it much easier to get yeah. more 
and more deep sleep. You know, it's, you know, when you're 18, you can sleep in every single morning, regardless of what you drank or ate or your condition. <laughs> so annoying. It doesn't matter. Um, when we get older, we seem to spend less time in deep sleep and it's almost harder to get there. And the older we get, that's, that's the case. So what I always say to people is, um, rather than looking about the hours, look at how much you can get, which is quality. So a good night's sleep for me would be if you fall asleep fairly quickly, so in under you know a half an hour, 25 minutes, if you wait to go to the toilet but can get back to sleep again and, and you can stay awake during the day. If you're if you're kind of achieving that, then that's decent quality sleep. Right. But but it's often this focus on eight hours that causes yeah. so I've worked with ladies before who are getting seven hours and that's actually perfect. They're doing well on seven hours. They're a bit stressed and they're a bit tired, so they're trying to get eight, and they cause insomnia by trying to get eight because actually that's that's oh, just gosh, yeah, it's a vicious yeah. circle, isn't that really? Um, I mean, talking about teenagers, I mean, you're you're very much like you go your your bed is where you sleep, and then you get out of your bed and you leave your bedroom. I mean, for us, it's a bit of a nightmare because teenagers spend so much time in bed because they're mm. now watching TV in bed on their laptops there, and it is it, you know it's it's very difficult to take those off them. It's it's easy to not put a television in someone's room, but it's very difficult to not let them have their their laptop, and they they spend an inordinate amount of time in bed what advice would you have for us parents dealing with that I mean I think I think it's really difficult um because you know the rules of you know don't have any screens two hours before bed etc are just impossible to impose yeah. on teenagers well you so, can impose them but you just spend your whole life shouting at them which is you know, <laughs> yeah, it just exactly. uncomfortable before bed <laughs> yeah and the thing is that won't help them sleep any better if they're going to no. bed cross and annoyed that that isn't any better than having watched the program uh, watched the phone probably so i think it's probably uh, I, I would say just be a bit more realistic with them so even if even if the rules are two hours just agree with them what they're willing to do half an hour what time like what yeah. time would you be willing to put it down you know the importance of not spending loads of time in their bedroom doing the thing which isn't sleep so maybe compromising and saying if you're just going to be on your phone or not could you could it at least be downstairs could it at least mm-hmm. be in a different room not mm-hmm. actually in your pajamas in your bed and getting them up in the morning, again, I know it's hard, but getting them up early will create that sleep drive, which means they're more likely to fall asleep because it's easy to get your body clock so far out of sync when you're falling asleep at 1, 2 a.m., yeah. getting up late. And, and lockdowns, obviously, you know, thrown everyone, thrown everybody out the window, especially teenagers. They have nothing to get up for, so they're on their phones and they're getting up late. What used to make me really cross more than anything was my husband <laughs> <laughs> lying next to me blissfully. Oh. snoring his head off oh, having God. all that yeah. sleep i'm sure women bring that to you don't they Catherine? Yeah. this kind of internal fury that someone else can get your partner can just continually sleep through yeah oh my god i mean so many women have that and they their partner wakes up and goes oh, i'm shattered and i just want to kill them <laughs> it's quite tricky in a relationship isn't it to navigate that yeah what advice do you give people so i guess the first question i would ask is where where do you where do you see the future? Do you want to share a bed, or are you happier? Would you be happier? <laughs> yeah, or would you be happier in separate rooms? If you're very comfortable just separate rooms, and I'd say if you can sleep better not sharing, then don't share. But look, for a lot of people, that's part of their relationship, and they want to share. So what what women are often doing if their partner snores is again they're going to bed at the same time as their partner, and that's not the right body clock. That's not the right schedule for them. Mm-hmm. So I'd say if you go to bed later, you're going to be more tired. It's going to be less annoying, less apparent. Well, you've been so helpful, Catherine. I think that will be really good for all the people who keep saying to us, will you do something on sleep? Will you do something on sleep? (laughs) And now we have. So thank you very much for that. Thank you.
deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. If you want your children to turn out well, spend twice as much time with them and half as much money, which is a very wise quote. But how do we go about teaching kids the value of money? It's such an important life skill some thoughts <laughs> mm. well I think it kind of starts with us doesn't it and, and how our our own attitudes to money are yes. and apparently we all have a money personality don't we? Do we we do I'll tell you what mine is I'm a bit of a cautious uh money person it, it does cautious make me quite Caroline. anxious cautious Caroline it does make me a little bit anxious but I think I kind of got that from my mum she was so precise about money I mean they didn't have a lot of money and she would account for everything um she didn't actually work but she managed all the aspects of kind of the finances you know from my dad's earnings and she was a real balance your checkbook do you yes. remember that when they exactly used to balance the same as my mum yeah yeah and her favorite phrase was look after the pennies and the pounds will look after themselves and I you know that always sort of stuck with me and I suppose that's about being in the detail of your money and what you have really good lesson for me but yeah. then when I met Neil at the age of 19 lovely I was about 22 Neil. lovely Neil also billionaire as- tech <laughs> entrepreneur oh, Neil. oh no God. that's not him is no, it no that's not no. definitely not him uh, <laughs> his, Neil, uh, one of his nicknames is mad spendy boy because he just like <laughs> he just, not mad bendy boy which not i bendy. like as well no. spendy yeah spendy. so yeah. he was definitely a risk taker and he was sort of one of those people who get a credit card at the beginning of the, the you know this student year and he'll have racked up the whole max in about two weeks did you mm. like that about him though because well i it was did a release it was from the constriction shock yeah. you know, there was I writing down every single 20 pence I spent on a double desk. And he's like, surprise me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. So uh, somewhere we've kind of landed in the middle. And I think that thing of like one of you being quite cautious and doing yes. saving and the yeah. one pushing you to take a few risks is, is probably quite good. What about you and James? Well, I've got a very... I, I don't know. I think I'd call it a slightly strange attitude um, to money. So my parents had very little money. When they first moved to Cornwall, they had enough money for, I think I seem to remember my mum saying for food for the week and that was it until my dad mm. sorted out a job when we were really little. My mum was very careful, like your mum, she kept a little book, I remember her, of everything coming in, everything mm. going out. You know, the power was in knowing what was going on. But I have... I don't have anything to do with money. That sounds oh. really lofty, doesn't it? Like the Queen. Mm. Um, my husband deals with absolutely every aspect of it. I don't really, I don't know, it's funny, throughout my career, I've never really been driven by money as the element mm. of what I've been lucky enough to earn quite a lot because I chose an industry that at the time newspapers paid journalists quite a lot and worked very hard, you know, and, and worked sort of seven days a week. Mm. So, but I just sort of, 
got to a point where I just absented myself from having responsibility for it because James was so good with it. My husband was so good with managing it. Now, in retrospect, as a woman, I don't think that is a good thing. I wouldn't Mm. advise that because you lose your power a little bit. And obviously I trust him implicitly, but I should be more involved. Mm. I know I should be more involved. Neil and mine's separate approach to money has always worked because we've always both had a source of income. But I think you can really run into a, a trouble in a scenario where one of mm. you, say, loses a job or decides yeah. to cut back on hours or take a pay cut, um, you know, to start a new career, um, whatever. Well, it should Go, be a constant yeah, discussion. So this is exactly. the, we've run loads and loads of features on it on all the magazines mm. I've worked with, particularly within relationships. And it's all right, somebody else handling it, but you need to have constant communication. And yeah. a lot of women are really terrified of talking about money. I'm into and employed lots of women who didn't even ask during their interview what the salary was going to be and I would always say at the end are you not going to ask me the salary talking about it can really change your life once you get rid of the fear of it Um, I think it's really important that women are taught to do that I certainly teach my daughters uh, and my son to talk about money we've been very I would say stingy on the pocket money front yeah yeah Um, well they say stingy obviously because they need uh, 25,000 pounds a day to um, fuel their needs (laughs) but but we gave them pocket money and asked them how they were going to spend it we got them uh, go Henry cards have you seen those little Mm, go Henry cards when they were little yeah Um, so there's lots of ways you can get kids uh, involved in money and knowing the value of it yeah I mean you have to kind of give them the freedom to manage their own budget because it will or their own pocket money because it will I mean there's two things it will hopefully teach them only spend what you can afford and kind of avoid the pitfalls of unplanned expenses I found a really good website actually called moneyadviceservice.org.uk and they have a really good section on talking to teenagers about money and they they actually tell you to kind of advise you to talk to them and be really honest and give them examples maybe of where you've made mistakes with money yourselves what the impact of that was how you can learn from it what are your thoughts and obviously you were at this point I mean because there's in terms of older children adult yes. children First of all, um, paying, if you can afford to, paying student loans at uni and maintenance, because that's quite a, a big issue, isn't it, for some people? Well, I think if you're going to, you, A, you have to make sure that if you can afford to pay it for one, you're going to have to pay it for the others. Mm. So is that your future earning mm-hmm. going to be able to support that? Yeah. Um, but I think it's a kind of day, month by month, year by year conversation, isn't mm. it? I would rather they paid themselves, but I don't want them to get into cataclysmic debt because mm. that is possible future for this generation Mm. unfortunately there's some really great advice actually about the whole uni loans thing because they're the way they're structured and the way they pay them back I think it's really Mm. worth understanding that and there's some great uh, advice on moneysavingexperts.com with old Martin Martin Lewis Lewis is probably the best site we found actually when we were looking at this because he's very current and up to date yeah very much so and it's not um it's not the same as paying off a debt it's kind of structured very differently in how it will end up paying back and then um you know I've got friends now whose kids are back from university they're living at home obviously the jobs market is incredibly tough and well, that's rent in hard. urban areas is hard. it's just impossible and I think that's really that's a really difficult scenario that they're finding themselves in in terms of how much do you actually financially support your adult children obviously every family circumstances and everybody's individual circumstances are, are different um but what i what i was kind of reading about this is that you really there's, there's two ways of looking at it you know it could be if you financially support them it could provide a really good start to your child's self-sufficiency and independence it might yeah. just be the money they need to get them the going cushion. 
but it could also be the thing that keeps them from kind of becoming self-reliant ultimately. So it's kind of how, I suppose it's about knowing your child and your offspring, what their opportunities are and seeing where you can help them. And then also it's about what impact it's going to have on your own sort of future planning with money, because, um, you know, in theory, they have time to get their financial ducks in a row, they can get loans, you can't get a loan to fund your retirement. So if you're using your retirement savings (laughs) to fund your 20 something who, you know, so there's a lot to consider and every, everybody's, um, you know, decision is, is their own personal decision, but it is worth kind of just reading about it and getting some advice, I would say. I think getting the information before you have the conversations as well, mm. so you know what you're talking about. Exactly. So let's, let's keep talking about money. tried and tested time um Lorraine you're doing something fashiony which I'm rather excited about because I don't think we've done anything fashiony for a while have we no we haven't but it is it is my gift I am on a crusade for not buying new all the time not fueling this massive piles and piles of stuff in landfill all the damage we're doing to the planet I downloaded an app called buy rotation mm-hmm and it's peer-to-peer, mm-hmm. basically. You're part of a community that's sharing pretty nice things. Because I was thinking, if I want to go out for, it's my wedding anniversary, 20 years married. If I want to go out for dinner, I want to wear something really, really special. But I don't want to buy anything. No. Um, but I want to wear something I haven't worn before, so I'm going to rent something. So this is, I think, for special occasions, because there's a lot of really nice high-end fashion here if you like Chloe if you like Gucci if you like Chanel uh, if you like some of those cool new young brands Rixo, Mm -hmm. Ganny, Kitri. So I borrowed for a night out with Mr Candy a dress by Vampire's Wife which Mm. we all know of them Trisha. Lovely. They're about well they're anything between a thousand two thousand pounds in real life should we buy them in real life Um, but I hired it for 24 pounds the Ooh, evening very nice <laughs> it was really nice it was a perfect fit it's brilliant for all my instagram shenanigans as you can mm-hmm. imagine but there are lots of other things so you can rent so the prices start from three pounds mm-hmm. um and you can rent things up to a chanel bag worth nearly six thousand pounds there are lots and lots of um sites that do rent now there's something called thread up t-h-r-e-d up there's depop there's ebay instagram have a ton of sites you can follow mm-hmm. um accounts you can follow where it's rented or it's swap you know you can borrow things from by rotation for up to 30 days uh you either exchange in person so you find your community or you send it back tracked and that's around um seven pounds i think to send it mm-hmm. back tracked but it looks to me like the future and it's like mm. it was just really nice wearing that really yeah. lovely dress also let's not forget it's second hand september Oh, yes. This is the brilliant, brilliant initiative that Oxfam UK are Mm -hmm. pushing and following. Trish, what have you been trying and testing? Well, I'm back at the gym um, and I've I've started... after you know after lockdown all of that and I'm doing um body pump classes which what the I, hell well you know it's that sort it's kind of like little coordinated little weightlifting like you don't Jane work Fonda. on the body <laughs> no because you've got weights and you're changing okay. the weights up and down but it's kind of like a full body sort of weights workout which I need to do for my little tiny bird bones <laughs> to make sure that they, <laughs> you know to try and sort of uh, prevent the old osteoporosis but um I've bought myself a foam roller because oh, I'm sort of fed up of that. I'm fed up of that mm. sort of, you know, like you have about three days of aching. 
So I got my foam roller from Decathlon and I think you can get them for about £25 and they're either kind of smooth or they can have these slightly little raised knobbly bits on, which is probably slightly more advanced, a bit more painful, um, but both do a very good job. What you have to do is you you have to lie on it in different ways that you are sort of rolling against all the different muscle groups. And I found a really good website, actually, physique.co.uk. Um, so it's, it's a bit painful. <laughs> really painful foam oh. rollering. Yeah. And if it doesn't hurt, then it's not working. It's probably, I'd say, anybody who hasn't done it, if you're going to do it, don't just kind of launch yourself on it and no. start rolling about. I would, um, yeah, I would definitely follow some instructions. And it just sort of, you know, it just gives you a lovely, it kind of increases the flow of blood and lymph to the muscle and you get a nice healthy supply of oxygen and nutrients. And it works on something called, do you know what the myofascia is? Do you know what your myofascia is? Is it somewhere you go on holiday? <laughs> Sounds like it, doesn't it? Sounds like Mykonos or somewhere, doesn't it? No, it's um, <laughs> it's basically this sort of not a Greek disgusting. island. It's it's no, it's fascia, not Maya fascia. Fascia. It's basically this sort of network of fabric that en envelops kind of all the muscles in our body and our bones and our organs in one this one weird long unbroken structure. And the rolling really kind of um, you know helps with that as well. It kind of makes that all. Can we go back to body pump. Is there music? Oh yes, definitely. It's it's oh, very coordinated. Okay. It's the tracks are literally you work to the track, and then it it's kind of one of these um, like leotard type. No, not leotard. Uh, leggings, big sweat sweaty sweat t shirt. Okay, quite a lot of sweating. Can you lift Neil up yet? Then <laughs> <laughs> maybe not. I can lift Margot. <laughs> if she <laughs> lets you. Huge fur coat. Yes, exactly. So what have you been uh, feeling nostalgic about this week then, Lorraine? I've had great joy this week, feeling nostalgic. Trish, I'm going to read you something. Mm -hmm. Who said this? Who said okay. this? The best place to be is here. The best time to be is now. Um, someone very spiritual and insightful and Plato? clever. <laughs> yeah. no. It's Bill from Bill and Ted. Oh, <laughs> you caught me out there they also said be excellent to each other oh yeah. another one of life's oh. manifestos anyway bill and ted it's coming back 30 oh. years after the first film oh my god Look at me, our producer she's what the hell are they talking about she's thinking <laughs> 31 years 1989 was the first bill and ted with keanu reeves obviously oh. who's um, the other guy who was the other guy I never alex remember. winter oh right okay whatever happened yeah, oh, we don't care about him we don't care about we him. only okay. care about keanu reeves oh, so boy do we care about him oh I used to have a cardboard cutout of Keanu oh. Reeves by my desk, which someone stole from a film. Oh, premiere. which, I think which it was because, the Matrix, maybe? Oh, I was going to say because they—he's had so many kind of different beautiful incarnations, hasn't he? What's your favourite Keanu film? I'm going to go a bit, a bit classic, and I, I prefer the old ones. I haven't done all that sort of John John Wick stuff. I have to confess, but you don't I like think... violence, do you? <laughs> not really and i don't really like sort of matrixy things so i'm going to be oh. a bit boring and say don john in much do about nothing do you remember it's terrible it's <laughs> the worst no, he's so gorgeous but actually okay no i've got a better one speed as yes jack, jack traveler or something isn't he in speed yeah that you was, like him in speed then. yeah i love that yeah, yeah. go I on like the, uh, it's gone from my mind because my brain's gone. what's the surfing oh. one? Oh, oh um God's sake, how can I not remember that? 
Hang it on. was a bit like speed, but with point break. Point break. Oh yeah. Point break is my favourite all-time Keanu film. It might be in my top five all-time films. I think oh. maybe. Yeah. And are you going to come and see Bill and Ted with me? Definitely. That was Definitely. A cool there, and, well, I was just thinking, am I going to have to come to North London? I'm not sure about that. <laughs> but, okay. But you told me something before, which yes. uh, about your husband. Oh yeah. <laughs> He knows this. If you squint and you stand a bit a bit away away, yeah, he does bear a passing resemblance to Keanu uh, Reeves. <laughs> Shall I tell, tell me you where who, you've been? Well, do you know what? It slightly ties in now that you've said about James because um, it's somebody that Neil looks a bit like or has been told in the past. The Rock, uh, Richard Briers. <gasps> Richard Pryor. Oh, I love him though. Well, so I was already thinking about the good life, and then you mentioned about uh, Keanu and James. And actually, Neil Neil actually has been more likened to Harrison Ford. But the one that really made me laugh was when he was once likened to Richard Briers um, in the Good Life. <laughs> this was possibly along maybe with Forty Thousand, the best sitcom. But who who is the best character? Margot. Margot is <laughs> the best character because she is. Do just you this, mind, Jerry? Uh, amazing mix of sort of hilarity and humiliation, isn't she? And then she's all sort of wow. plumping cushions and complaining about Miss Mountshaft. We're all a bit Margot, I think, aren't we? We've all got a bit of Margot in us. But mm. it was interesting, wasn't it? Because you've obviously got Tom and Barbara and their relationship, and Jerry and uh, Margot. But then I think the Tom and Margot dynamic was always really yeah. interesting because he always used to just really get take too close to her. her. Uh, but they yeah. had this real sort of love-hate relationship. And then obviously... Well, Jerry... I think there was a sexual spark, was there not, Trish? Oh, well, well, there was between... Certainly was between Jerry and Barbara as well, wasn't he? He was always kind of running after her in her little dungarees and things. But, um, we, yeah, brilliant. Absolute lovely little nostalgia noodle there. Well, that brings us to the end of our penultimate episode of Postcards from Midlife. It's going to be the last one next week of Series 2, isn't it? I know. No more jibber-jabber. No more jibber-jabber <laughs> from us for a while. Who would have thought we got this far? I know. When we did that first one in lockdown, do you remember? Oh, my goodness. It brings me great joy when I read all the messages and I think of women striding around where they live, walking their dogs or going on runs, just listening to me and you talking about I midlife. Know. We're building a really wonderful community around postcards from midlife. Very um, funny women. Very funny, Very women. funny women. So uh, we'd love you to share our your midlife experiences with us on the Facebook group or you can email us, hello at postcardsfrommidlife.com. And um, if you're enjoying the episodes, please do tell your friends and all the midlife women you know. And remember to subscribe on your podcast provider and rate and review us too. Goodbye. Goodbye. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.